soul and has for weeks now since I uh, knew I was going to be preaching today. So I, I would like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're just going to read just a few verses, actually. Only seven, I believe. And it may seem, as you will look at later, it may seem like this is not that big a deal. But as we look at it carefully and closely, I think we're going to find that it is a very, very big deal. And there's a reason for that. So just listen to me. I'm going to take my time to read this, and just follow and and think carefully about what you're reading, what we're reading. Because it's so easy to be distracted, especially if you've been a Christian a long time. You may have read this hundreds and hundreds of times. Don't let this be something, oh yeah, I know that. And for those of you that are new to the faith, you might wonder how in the world does this fit in to everything else? We're going to take some time with that today. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by closed people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each One of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And this next verse is kind of interesting. You can see how... how relational and how real this is. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. What a thing to brag about. Yeah, I didn't didn't baptize you. He said, I did baptize the household of Cephas, of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't even remember. But he's making a very strong point here. This last verse. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. Father, we know that there's a lot here for us, though it may not seem like much. And that's just so representative, so common for your word. You You'll take the smallest things and change our lives for the rest of our life. And we want that today. We don't want to just come here and walk out of here and go to the church today and check that off as something that I did good for God. We, we come here today because we're honoring your presence. We want to gather in your presence. We're expecting you and thank you for manifesting your presence. But Lord, would you speak to our hearts And the arguments we might have with these truths, would you defeat them by the reason and the power of Holy Scripture? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verse 10, he's just making this simple appeal. appeal. I appeal to you, brothers. Ladies, do you feel left out? You ever felt left out when he just says brothers? 
Did you know there's a Greek word? It's plural, this one. So when it says plural, it means all of you. It means brothers and sisters. So you're not excluded, right? And notice here that Paul doesn't come in his own authority. Now, he had authority because he was the founding pastor. He'd spent the first year and a half of the church's life with them every day, all day. He's written them a bunch of letters, several letters that we don't even have record of. We only have one more uh, of his actual writings. But Paul was very, very intricately involved in their lives. He loved these people. But he doesn't say, now I come to you reminding you of something I said. No. He says, I come to you, so there's no division, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's kind of like a trump card, isn't it? That's final, final word, <laughs> nothing else to say. Paul wanted to make sure that they were clear, this church in, in Corinth, that he was coming to them with the authority and the intensity of the word of the Lord. Now, Paul didn't say this in a boasting way. He just wanted to make it very, very clear that this is serious. Now, the unity that he's talking about and he's asking for here is modeled for us in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that's a a mystery. I, I can't explain it all to you. When I was a kid, they used to say, well, think of an apple. Ever heard that one? Anybody? No? Okay. Think of an apple. You've got the outside, the skin, and you've got the inside, the core, I mean the, the fruit, and then you've got the core, the seed. But it's still one apple. And when I was seven years old, that made a lot of sense. But at my age, I'm like, what? How can three personalities be one? How can you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are distinct in many ways, actually just simply be one? Well, there's, it's a supernatural uh, unity that we're talking about. We're not just talking about everybody agreeing together, everyone looking alike, everyone talking, you know, some, some kind of Christian cloning. We all say just the same things at just the right times. You know, God hates that as much as I do. Because that's not the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, and this is another example of, of this kind of unity, every member of my body is very, very, very different. But each, each one does its part, and life works. Now, even, even those that have the same gift or a similar gift, like eyes, if you don't have both eyes working together, you see no depth. And we would not want you on the road. <laughs> Even your hands. Two different sides of my body facing two different ways. But they work together to be able to accomplish the most amazing things. So there's this unity that is supernatural and it's a call to sameness of passion and heart. You'll see in a moment. This is not a call for uniformity. This is not a call 
for everyone in here to like the same things, think the same things, believe the same things. There's, there's a very specific reason why we are so different and yet we're one body. Now, to follow in Chris's pattern, I'm going to define from Webster's 1828, um, which, thank you for last week, I love that. Um, this, this unity he's talking about is a oneness of sentiment. Think about these words. The oneness of sentiment, affection, and behavior. There's, there's a heart issue here at work when we're talking about unity. It, it takes supernatural unity, Holy Spirit-anointed unity, to disagree with other believers. And as you're disagreeing with them, you actually listen to what they have to say and consider their perspective, even though they're very different and priorities are very different. It takes supernatural unity to work through these issues of conflict and disagreement with love and respect, loyalty. And here's a key. Many of you have heard this before, but appreciating the differences between us. I think this is a key aspect of marriage. It can certainly apply to partnership and business and many other things. But my wife and I are very, very different. She sees the world in a way I still, we've been married 48 years. Been, we were together two years before. So 50 years of trying to understand how she gets from point A to point Z because I would go A, B, C, and this is no, no slam on her. It's just she thinks A, well, that D, and you got F. Now, what about C? And she thinks it all through. I just go through the list. And quite frankly, I drive her nuts. And she drives me nuts. To actually to be able to, and this was a, a key break, breakthrough in our marriage years ago, is when we realized, we were taught, that these differences are actually intended by God for us to work together. Because when you get married, people say today, ah, oh, well, I get married, what's the big deal? The Bible says when you get married, two become one. Oh, there's that oneness again. But to be in an argument with someone or to, to be disagreeing with someone, to appreciate the difference in how they're seeing things, that takes, that takes the Holy Spirit working in our lives. To genuinely appreciate and respect differing perspectives. Our culture does not like this. But our culture wants it desperately. Problem is, they're trying to do it in their own strength. They're trying to do it by law. They're trying to do it by philosophy. They're trying to do it by perspective and get everybody to think the same way. No, it's never going to work. Why? Because God didn't intend for that to ever work. What we do is we talk things through with individuals and then I get the best from what they're saying and hopefully they'll take the best from what I'm saying and we'll come out with some sort of an answer, some sort of agreement. 
Even when that agreement is, you know, I don't quite follow you and I'm not sure I get it all, but I respect your perspective because I love you. And because I know you are brought into my life to enhance it, to enrich it. And I know the scripture is very, very clear. I need you in my life. Now, again, this is a work that the Holy Spirit does all the time if we'll cooperate with him. I mean, the power is there to agree on a Christ-honoring agreement or take action or, you know, come to a a resolution. And sometimes it's, you know, um, I agree to disagree on that point, but I also agree with you that that point is not the main issue here. Main issue is with us disagreeing, do I still deeply love you? And do I appreciate and maybe even come back to you for some clarification? Or as I learn more about what you're saying, that I come back to you and you can help me because I need that help. That's how we feel about each other. Now Paul is coming to them and he's trying to make it very clear this is serious. I'm addressing you today because I'm saying as well, this is serious. And Paul's making an appeal. I want to make a strong appeal. I want us to be very clear on this little section of Scripture and how powerful it is. In verse 11, he talks about this section where I'm a Paul, I'm a Christ, I'm a, a Paulus, and, and, you know, this isn't about me baptizing you. It isn't about me being a, a celebrity in your life or, or this or that or the other. Paul is getting ready in these letters to address some very serious issues. Chris mentioned some of them last week. But of all the issues he had to walk through with Corinth, the first thing he chose to deal with was this, unity. That just shows you in his mind how important this was. So to me, honestly, I read this and I can think it's not that big of a deal. It's easy for me to do. But then you look at what Paul's saying, and he, we realize that from his experience as a church planter, him, him working with all the churches that he did, he knew how serious it was, how detrimental it was to a local church for there to be a lack of unity. Because it affects the life and the health, the vitality of the church. And it actually is a step towards destroying the church. You say, what? Just because, you know, I like Chris's message better than Shane's message, that means I'm destroying the church? Aren't you being a little, um, going too far on this? Well, listen to what Paul says. He says that to not realize the seriousness of coming to the place of arguing about who's the best, that it's actually a tactic of the enemy of our soul, Satan, that wants to destroy Metro Life Church. Now remember, Satan is our enemy, but this will change your life if you haven't already gotten there. God 
created all things. We believe that. He created all things. Everything that you see, he created. Satan does not create. He doesn't have the ability. He is a created being himself as an angel and now a fallen angel. But he does not have the powers of God Almighty. So don't don't ever let yourself buy into the deception that you're the only one, that nobody understands. And think, this is new. No one's ever had to go through what I'm going through. No, Scripture says very clearly, there's nothing new under the sun. Why? Because God created it, and it's done. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 tells us this. What has been, and again, I'm going to read slowly because I want you to think about this. This is, when you, when you put it in context of our life, it's bizarre. It's, it's profound. It's so helpful. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? Well, God says it is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of louder things yet to be among those who come after. You've heard the phrase, history repeats itself. That's why it's so important to know your history. And I know it takes time, and I know it's not as entertaining as your, as your favorite TV shows, but history shows us where we are right now because it just happens over and over and over again in one culture after the other because Satan's not creative. He has a certain way of attacking, and he just does the same thing over and over again. He tries to get every one of us away from our faith with the exact same ta- tactics. They're just different circumstances. But when you see what's really going on, you understand that this, Paul is saying, division, this lack of unity will actually end up, and the goal is for you and I to attack each other. For, for us to turn against each other. Now, I, my dad, as you know, was in the Navy, and we moved a lot, so I was in a lot of churches as a kid. I watched this. Now, when I was younger, I didn't know what was going on, but as I got older, I started figuring it out that this brother didn't like that brother, and this sister talked behind the back of that sister, and it wasn't long before there wasn't a church anymore. It's just an age-old same old, same old attack of the enemy. Paul Tripp, um, excuse me, I'm slipping ahead of my notes here just a minute, but, but Paul Tripp made the comment that we need to be temptation aware. In other words, you, you live, like the Bible says, wise, not foolish. You're aware that, yes, God has given us so much in this church, so much to appreciate, so much to enjoy, so much to be thankful for. But the enemy hates us. And he's going to use the same tactic, tactic of trying to get you 
to not like someone over here. Maybe that's why you're sitting over here, because you don't like them. Have you ever, have you, <laughs> um, have, you, have you ever wished someone in the church would find another church? Sadly, I have. Because I didn't understand what was going on. I just thought, well, you know, they don't really fit here, so. But that's not what Paul's talking about. The ones that seem like they don't fit, the ones that are less presentable, the Bible says, get the greater care. Are there people that on Sunday or at other times you would avoid? Because they just drive you nuts. That's the person you need in your life. Well, I don't really like that. I don't really feel comfortable. It doesn't matter because God sends people into our life. Every one of you, if this is your church home, you didn't come here because we have great music and great preaching and, and a nice facility. You're a member of the church because God literally sent you as a gift to us for us to be all that God wants us to be. There's no such thing as being a non-essential member of the body of Christ. Now, see, what I want you to see is, here we're looking at something in Corinth. I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, got it. But did you realize, unless you've been around a long time, this is Metro Life Church. We've been together now 37 years as, as of Easter. We were together two years before that in preparation for the actual beginning of the church. And we have seen this very tactic in our church over and over and over again. Individuals that find it their responsibility to correct others, and if they won't receive the correction, they just avoid them. Especially people who think they're right. I mean, you wouldn't have your perspective if you didn't think you're right. So when someone has a different perspective, if they're right, then that means you're not right. That's just pride. There's no humility there. But this tactic is especially effective on young people, young adults, young Christians. I actually talked to a young adult this week, or last week, and I had heard about what someone had said to them. And they haven't been back since. They were so shamed. And I just told them, I said, look, I, I heard about this, and I just want you to know, this does not represent our church. This is not the church we want to be. I remember in the days of the Jesus movement when people, young people started getting saved and they'd come in with hair down, you know, past their shoulders. And we had individuals in our church that were like, they need to go get a haircut. No, they need Jesus. And how are they going to see Jesus with you having an attitude like that? This is serious. I've literally seen people run out of this church by the things other members said about them or to others about them. It's a very effective tactic. I saw the pain in this person's eyes. 
They love this church. It was a moment for me. So very quickly, you might wonder, well, what do we do when, you know, the Bible talks about us confronting one another and admonishing one another, and, and he talks about how we need to hold on to the truth and make sure that our theology is right and all that kind of stuff. Um, how, how are you supposed to do that? Well, let me make a recommendation that I have seen work wonderfully. If you need to go to a brother or sister, start with a log in your own eye. Not the log that's in their eye that you'd, you perceived. <laughs> Start with the log that's in your eye. Go to Scripture and find out, what, what does it say about this? Is this just my preference? Is it just my perspective? Or am, should I really even go to this person in the first place? Maybe you'll get counsel from a pastor or a, a community group leader or a trusted friend. Here's a key. Don't assume that they're doing what they're doing and they just don't care what anybody else thinks. You see, many times, the other, another one of the tactics of the enemy is deception. And you know, the very essence of deception means you, know you're not, you don't know that you are. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Does that make sense? So, a brother or sister could be doing things that are wrong and they don't even know it. The Holy Spirit hasn't even convicted them yet and you're ready to. Now, what's the key to all this is relationship. I would encourage you to go to them as someone that you deeply love and care about. So, well, that, yeah, that's why I'm going to them. Yeah, but, but someone that has a relationship or wants to be treated like you'd want to be treated. You ask permission to talk to someone about something. You just don't go to them because the Bible says. You care about how they think. You ask questions, lots and lots of questions. Don't assume that when you go to them, no matter what they say, you already know. So when they do give you a response to your question, you don't really answer. listen because you already know the answer. You might be really surprised. I'm surprised by my wife all the time. So we'll have a conflict or we'll have an issue and I'll say, okay, hon, help me. And again, it took me way too long to learn this, but help me understand how you're seeing this. What's your perspective? And if I'll just listen to her, guess what? <laughs> She's so right. It just aggravates me. So, but it's, 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 it's our perspectives together. She comes my way, I come her way, and then we walk together as the Lord gives us the power and strength. I'm not trying to say we always do that. Um, you, you know that this comes from a lot of doing it the wrong way. <laughs> if you don't have a relationship with that person, Start there. Invite them to coffee. Go to lunch after church on Sunday. Get to know them a little bit. Find out where they're coming from. Find out what their background is. Perhaps that's just part of the culture they've grown up with all their life and have never heard anything different. Seek 
to genuinely understand. And again, a key aspect of marriage. The Bible says to, to husband, seek to understand your wife. Understand her. What does that mean? I have to listen to her. And I'm not going to get it, so then I need her to explain to me what she just said meant. Because we can use the same words, and the definitions are very different. Why? That's the way God made us, male and female. I'm so glad she's different. I love that she's different. But on things like this, on the way we think, I can find it quite the challenge. Now, let me just say this way, church, we are not called by God to be biblical detectives. We're not called to be prosecutors. We are not called to be judges. There's one judge, that's his business. Our job is love. Love one another. That's how they're going to know that you're even a Christian. Not because you're right in your doctrine. Not because your perspective is the right one. But because you love them. And you care about them. And you're willing to be patient with them. And give them time to even get to a place of where the Holy Spirit starts convicting them. The coolest thing is when you're in a, in a friendship uh, a, a discipleship relationship, and, and you're talking to someone about something, you know, sometimes like with my kids, it was for years. I w- we would s- say certain things to them, trying to get them to a certain place. Somebody else will say something, or they'll read a book, and they'll come back and tell you how incredible it is that this is true. And you just want to say, but I've been saying that for so long. I remember my, my kids, when they to be part of a community group. Um, They'd go to community group, and somebody in the group would say something. They'd come home all excited, and Mel and I just looked at each other like, okay, well, at least they're getting it. (laughs) But see, that's who we are as people. We all, we need time. It takes time. The goal of this whole thing is gaining one another. Matthew 18, which is where we find the whole narrative for church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What is that? The motive of going to them, the motive of going and sharing their their fault is to gain them. It's to win them, as, as Chris was saying last week. Galatians 5 If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, Paul is trying to help us to see there's diversity in the body of Christ. Every one of those men, Apollos, obviously Christ, Paul, each one of them, absolutely essential. But these different gifts were his way of creating his kingdom. Now, let me make it clear. It's fine to have preferences. You know, Caleb and I may like different things. We, we may read different things. We might do different things for fun. We probably like different foods. Perfectly fine. Until I start criticizing him for liking what he likes. Or not liking what I like. 
or saying, you know, I don't know if I really want to hang out with Caleb because, yeah, he just, you know, he didn't like this and he didn't like that. And now, again, it's perfectly fine to choose your friends. And we, we do uh, naturally gravitate to people that are like us and that like the same kinds of things. That's just natural and normal. But do you know why we gravitate to those people? Do you understand what's behind all that? Well, it's simply this. The church has been given a variety of gifts. The reason you like some people better than others many times is because they're gifted like you. You know, Nancy has a gift of, of mercy, compassion, hospitality. Oh, my goodness. I've watched her work. I've seen the fruit of her work. Would you, which if you went to her and say, oh, you have such a beautiful gift, she'd probably look at you like, what are you talking about? Because we're motivated by these things. They're God-given from birth. I, this may sound crazy, but I, I think some of the greatest salesmen, saved or unsaved, have the gift of evangelism. They'll just walk up to anybody anytime. Why? Because they're gifted. Now, obviously, not having come to Christ, they're not coming into their fruition, their fullness in the body of Christ. But there are gifts. People, people that, are, you know, nurses and caretakers, th their gift of, of helps is incredible. So I'm drawn to people that are like that. But what do I do? I hang out and I serve with people. I remember for years we had a... Um, serving meals at a hotel right up the street for folks that were in need. You know who all came to serve? It's people that have a, a real servant's heart and care for the poor. They all, they're very different people, but they all had the same heart. Why? Because God gave them the heart. So we appreciate the people that are gifted like us, but the challenge is appreciating people that are not gifted like us. So if you can actually get to the place of saying, you know what, I really, I really don't like that person that much, but I really appreciate who they are in Christ. I really appreciate that, that they are in the body of Christ. I really appreciate that they bring gifts I don't understand. I need you. I need you. My body doesn't function if everything doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And we've seen some folks recently that just like that, their whole life changed because one thing went wrong in their body. Every one of you, you are needed. You are wanted. And if we're not all there yet, that's fine. We're going to get there by the grace of God. Now, the punchline of this is actually very simple. But it's something that I find challenging to fully comprehend and hopefully Shane will be able to help us with this a little bit next week. In verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, no words he, in other words he wasn't trying to impress anybody. But here are these last words. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Wow, Paul's seeing something I'm not seeing. 
Do you mean by, by division in the church, we can actually undermine the power of the cross? Do, do you mean that if we try to get rid of people that aren't gifted like us or we don't like it, or if, if people don't appreciate ours, we're, we're actually taking away from what Christ accomplished on the cross. How serious is that? You might think, Danny, you're kind of late on strong this morning. My dad used to say when I would preach like this, he'd come up to me afterwards and this is the early days of the church. And he'd say, son, you're meddling today. And then he'd flash at me this amazing smile of approval. Well, I believe what the Lord wants to do for us this morning is indeed simple because everything that you need is already provided for this. We're asking the Holy Spirit to set us free. Set us free from this kind of foolishness. This is not the church we want to be. We don't want to avoid anyone in the church. We want to embrace them with open arms, even if they drive us nuts. We want to sincerely appreciate what God has given them. <coughs> Excuse me. Just think of Ed Ratwood. Anybody try the cinnamon rolls this morning? Oh my goodness, what a gift to this church. I can't do that. I wouldn't even have any idea how to begin. Am I grateful he's here? Yeah. And so we actually ask the Lord to set us free from the triviality and the division that comes from being superficial. We've been through a lot as a church over these years. We've experienced these things way too often. Some of our testing has has been severe, intense, challenging us over the years. Individuals that intentionally stirred up strife, individuals that had an agenda of their own, who drew others to themselves rather than for us to unify together as a body. Can I give you one example that really hits home? And please don't get offended. Just my perspective, maybe my gifting. <laughs> You know, the whole thing about masks and whether or not to wear a mask was way too divisive in this church. I heard what brothers and sisters were saying about each other over something like a mask. Now, I admit, I told Chris this, I'm glad I'm not leading now. Because I'm not saying I had any idea what to do. And I appreciate, I kind of appreciate the direction they took. You know, <laughs> but if that dis disagreement causes you to feel ill about another person in the body of Christ, you're eroding the cross, the power of the cross of Christ. Church, this is, this is serious. Let, let the truth set you free today. Ask God sincerely, would you... Give me the ability to see past my own thinking and listen to other people 
and care about them and benefit from and learn from them, even when it takes a lot of work to get there. As pro-lifers, those who believe in the sanctity of life, we believe that every person is made in the image of God. And if they're a Christian, Christ literally dwells in him, in that person, in her. So Christ lives in us. And you're going to reject that person? You're going to let yourself have an attitude towards them? No, no, church. We're asking God to set us free from that kind of petty, trivial, superficial living. Why? Well, we have a dream here. And that dream is that we will be able to represent Christ well in the world today. That dream is for each and every one of us, no one excluded, experience New Testament Christian, Christianity, New Testament reality. We want, for what Scripture says, the unbeliever comes in among us, and we're just doing our thing. We're just loving each other. We're singing. We're worshiping. We're listening to Bible or whatever, Bible preaching and teaching. And that unbeliever looks around and says, God is really among you. Oh, how they love one another. That's our dream. You know where that happens? In your seat, at your job, in your neighborhood, department complex, your home. That's where it happens. People see, not just hear a bunch of religious stuff, but they see the reality of the kingdom of God people that you've just loved and cared for and prayed for when all the else all the other things fail them they'll remember you and how oh how wonderful that is when someone comes that has been totally resistant to you even trying to witness to them at all and they say hey you're the only one that I think could actually help me with this why because you're such a great counselor no because they know you love Jesus And so to take the severity of this is not just to be condemned. The point is not to to just simply everybody know how bad you are and how wrong you are because this is a pretty common thing in our lives. Instead, embrace the call and the admonition to unity. To Holy Spirit empowered and inspired unity. A decision to maybe not sit on this side, but sit over here next Sunday. And actually be around people you don't know. It's the decision to say, you know what? I really don't know that person very well, and I'm kind of not all that impressed. But, hey, would you like to go to lunch? I'd like to get to know. I'd, I'd like to get to know you. You will be amazed at the gift in these individual people sitting next to you. Why? Because they're spirit-filled. They're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. They're made in the image of God. And Christ dwells in them. And they're essential 
absolutely essential. Let's pray together. Father, we cannot do this in our own strength. And we, we don't study these things just to feel bad. Lord, we, we want hope. We need encouragement. We need your power. We need the Holy Spirit to, in a fresh way, come upon us that we can genuinely love one another, each and every one, without exception. And as people come into the church, Lord, would you give us love for folks that maybe don't fit in to our thinking of what a Christian should or shouldn't be, or even a person should or shouldn't be, that we would just love those that we get to meet, having no idea how you might give us a chance to minister to them or, or what might happen as they gather with us. Oh, God, would you turn this world upside down by believers that love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind, and love the church, love one another. We ask for these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Danny. I just want to give us a moment while we're seated to just take some time to prayerfully respond before we get up and sing and kind of begin to move on and move forward with our day. Would you just close your eyes with me now? We recognize that the cross has the power to save and transform our lives. But more than that, this passage shows us that the cross of Jesus Christ makes radical claims on his church gathered together. And that has implications for you and for me. And so right now, just where you're seated in your own heart, would you just take a moment to pray and ask God to reveal to you any ways that he is calling for something to change in your own heart today by the power that he provides. Jesus, you are the cornerstone that your church is built upon. It's not the preferences, opinions, or perspectives of man, but it is God's wisdom made manifest in the world. We don't fully understand that, nor do we always fully participate in that, but we welcome your invitation. We want to participate in proclaiming your glory. So through our lives, Lord Jesus, Powered by the Holy Spirit, may we bring God glory through his church. And in those ways that you may be revealing to us now, may we be strengthened to take practical, faith-filled, and faithful steps to live for you alone, we pray. Church, can we stand together and sing of his glory?